0: Welcome to the Fulfillment Project Podcast, where we, the seekers, unite together to step into our higher selves and highest purpose. I'm your host, Simply Sarah, and I'm glad that we have found each other here today. My aim for this show is to give you some tools and strategies, along with the awareness of emotional intelligence and intuition, as you create a life and business from alignment, creating more joy and fulfillment every single day. Welcome to today's episode on the Fulfillment Project Podcast. I am your host, Sarah Funnel, And today on this episode, I want to do an entire chapter reading of my new book, Follow the Joy, the book on Aligned Manifestation. The book was released November 21st, and it is out there and into the world. If you haven't got your copy yet and you've been wanting to, or maybe after this episode, um, you've you've heard a whole chapter and it's piqued your curiosity more. You can find it on Amazon or you can go to followthejoybook.com and uh, you'll see a link right there for it. Before I get started, I have to say a huge, and I mean like a huge thank you to anybody who has bought the book and supported it that way anybody who has sent me a private message or an email giving me your feedback or letting me know that you got it or that you started it or what your favorite part was, anybody who has posted a photo on their Instagram stories and tagged me with the book, honestly, your support means more than you realize. As a creative, and maybe this is you yourself, anybody who hosts events or creates a course or written a book or host a YouTube channel or podcast or any platform where we must create something in order to give value to someone else requires uh, a lot of creative energy, you know, time, effort, all the things that go into bringing something to life. And we cannot do this without someone on the other side to be able to intake that creation and get the value that it is intended for. And so I can't do this without you and that's why I want to say like the the biggest thank you like huge give me a high five big hug sister because I appreciate you so 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 much in your support through this process of writing the book and then you know if you have it or if you've read it it just ugh, honestly it just means the world to me. Okay. I'm going to stop blabbering here and I am going to jump right in. Today we are reading Chapter 5, Giving Up the Struggle. Struggle is a choice. At the end of 2019, I found myself completely burnt out with my business. I fell out of alignment and started working non-stop. For three years, I had been prioritizing work over everything else in my life, and I was starting to feel the effects of it, both mentally and physically. This looked like anxiety attacks in my office with the door closed and our staff right there in the next room. It looked like me bursting into tears as I was attempting to fall asleep. It looked like me being so exhausted but wired. Sometimes I would just lie in bed staring at the ceiling for hours, unable to sleep. If you recall from Chapter 3, I mentioned that after I started my initial business in health and fitness, I became very interested in all things entrepreneurship. I eventually left the health and fitness space to build another highly successful business in business mentoring with my now-fiancé, Joe. After working together day and night for many years to build it, we achieved a level of monetary success I would have never thought possible a decade previous. But how we did it was misaligned. You see, a misaligned manifestation cycle doesn't always end with not getting what you initially desired, which for us was building wealth. It's possible to achieve your goals physically, only the outcome is suboptimal in its results. This includes your level of satisfaction with said goal or accomplishment. An aligned desire and goal always brings more joy and fulfillment, not stress, anxiety, and burnout, which is where I was. At the beginning of that year, we saw the potential for hitting half a million dollars in revenue and set out to achieve that. Fast forward to the end of December as I was preparing our year-end financials for our accountant, and there it was, our total revenue for the year. We had hit our goal. However, I couldn't help but feel the eerily familiar feelings, the same ones I would felt before my previous proposal and once again during my competition years. And again, I heard the voice inside my head thinking, I thought this would feel different. I was so caught up in generating a certain level of income, I completely disregarded the fact that I was miserable, and I was miserable. I was working all the time, saying yes to projects and opportunities that I really wanted to say no to. I was missing out on social events, birthdays, and holidays. I was sacrificing my health and well-being for a goal that was so arbitrary. And frankly, it wasn't even that exciting to me anymore due to the level of stress and chaos it was bringing into my life. Somewhere along the way, I started to believe that making a lot of money would make me happy. An old belief I had most likely been carrying deep within myself from seeing my own parents struggling when I was a child. I thought if I could just achieve this milestone, then everything would be all right. But it wasn't all right. And I was left feeling extremely empty and disappointed. A lesson I clearly didn't transfer from my fitness competition days into my business goals. Looking at the number on my screen, feeling disenchanted and disillusioned, I realized that my struggle was a choice. I had been unconsciously choosing this, and I could choose to keep pushing through and force my business to grow even more with how I was currently operating while sacrificing my happiness and well-being, or I could choose to step back and reevaluate what I really wanted. In the wake of my revelation, Joe and I decided to take that step back and create clarity around what was important to us. What did we want our lives to look like? How did we want to feel in the pursuit of generating income? Together, we quickly realized while we wanted business success monetarily, we valued cultivating joy in the process above that success. In stepping back and doing this, I saw my ego at play and the influences from the hustle culture ways of operating. I was so caught up in what I thought I should be doing that I lost sight of what I actually wanted. So we made some changes. We got clear on our vision outside of revenue goals and how to move forward in alignment with our values. We changed the way we were working by setting boundaries around our time and energy. We prioritized our health and well-being by setting aside time to cook nutritious meals every day. We shifted our influences for the definition of success and expanded it to include more than revenue goals. We offloaded stress by implementing new services, systems, and processes to support our desired way of operating. And you know what? it worked we got our extraordinary outcome hitting income goals but not the at the expense of our well-being if you're unfamiliar with the term hustle culture is the glorification of working long hours sacrificing your health and putting your goals above everything else in order to achieve success it's the mentality that if you're not laboring away 24 hours a day seven days a week every month of the year then you're not doing enough The no pain, no gain, sleep when you're dead, every day I'm hustling, grind it out, and by any means necessary, mantras and memes are pushed so hard that it's easy to lose sight of, well, just about everything else. You might even lose sight of what you're actually working towards, let alone what you want the outcome to feel like. Hustle culture is very prevalent in society nowadays, especially in the online world. It's easy to get caught up in comparison post after post of everyone else claiming to be working so hard, but the thing is, you don't know if they're being truthful. You also don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You don't know if they're struggling with their mental and physical health, if they're sacrificing time with their family and friends, if they're missing out on important life events, or completely exhausted, miserable, and one-off the hamster wheel themselves. All you see is the highlight reel. And it's easy to forget that that's not reality. This way of operating is not sustainable and will lead to burnout. I used to operate from a place of hustle and grind, thinking it was the only way to be successful, and that it made me more worthy of my goals. But it wasn't until I stepped back and reevaluated my priorities that I realized there was a different way of doing things, a way that didn't sacrifice my joy or well-being. And in fact, following my joy and giving up the struggle was the way out of this cult-like culture. Working hard is not a bad thing. It's an important part of business or any endeavor, but there are ways to do it without sacrificing your health, relationships, and sanity. If you find yourself in the trap of hustle culture, slow down. Take a breath. Then take a moment to evaluate what you're working towards and how you want to feel at the end of your pursuits. This will be your compass for whether you are heading in the direction of fulfillment or of emptiness. Now, as I'm talking about giving up the struggle, I'm not saying we shouldn't anticipate challenges in life. I want to make this very clear. I don't want to provoke any delusion of alignment work being solely rainbows and butterflies all the time. In fact, if you remember from the introduction of this book, the hero's journey is based on challenges to help you grow, evolve, and shed past versions of yourself. But challenge is very different from struggle. A struggle is a burden, whereas a challenge is an opportunity for growth and expansion. A struggle is, I can't wait for this to be done, and you're looking for a relief from something, whereas a challenge is, I can't wait to see where this goes, and you have an anticipation of possibility, even if you don't know what that looks like yet. Struggle is being in one place, but needing to be in another. Challenge is fully being where you are. A struggle comes with resistance, whereas a challenge is met with acceptance. True transformation and alignment work starts with acceptance the willingness to stand in the present moment and to slow down the need to be somewhere you are not. Struggle and challenge are not mutually exclusive. In fact, any struggle can become a challenge if you let it. Your way out of struggle is to accept this present moment. Once there is acceptance of everything that is happening in your life and where you are, then there can be the allowance of a new possibility. There is a possibility to reframe your thoughts and feelings around the obstacle to change any limiting associated beliefs, and to go from misaligned to aligned manifestation. But if you're not accepting, then you are resisting. Even if you feel like you're in a bad spot, you can always accept the situation for exactly what it is. You may be experiencing financial challenges, relationship challenges, health challenges, motherhood, fatherhood, or anything in between. Maybe you can't even pinpoint exactly what is causing your discomfort right now, or maybe there is so much on your plate that you're overwhelmed and at a breaking point like I was back at the end of 2019. Remind yourself that this too shall pass and that you are being given an opportunity to grow from whatever challenges you are facing. Acceptance is the key to unlocking the door of possibility and it all starts with the willingness to give up the struggle. I don't say that with lack of empathy or without compassion because I truly don't know what is happening in your life. Challenges can bring with them some very difficult and unpleasant emotions. And by giving up the struggle, I don't mean to imply you are to disown your emotions. Quite the opposite, actually. Part of giving up the struggle is acknowledging and accepting your emotional state. Feel what you are feeling. Just don't add to it with the narrative of struggle. There is an undeniable truth that transcends all situations. It is what it is. And you get to decide what the meaning of it is. Is it a burden and a struggle? Have you become the unwitting victim of life? Or is it an opportunity to challenge your inner strength, change any underlying beliefs, and open yourself to finding your alignment? This is what I did when I was at my breaking point. I began to ask questions. I began to look at the root of my egoic desires and the unconscious beliefs that were fueling my behaviors. I observed my mental self out of alignment with my whole self. I was able to see the cognitive distortions I was employing to keep myself in this pattern, convinced it was the only way. Once I did, I was able to re-examine, reassess, and formulate a way out. The transformation didn't happen overnight, but I was no longer in the grip of my old programming. Maybe you feel like you're in a great spot right now. Maybe things seem to be going your way and you are feeling a beautiful forward momentum. I know I felt this way through 2019. I thought I was okay until I wasn't. I want you to check in with yourself and make sure you aren't experiencing impatience with your goals or not enoughness or feeling like you're not there yet. These are warning signs I ignored before I hit burnout. If you feel like something should be different, then you are out of the present moment and into the future with the ego mind. The map is not the territory. Struggle is a choice, even if you know you are not consciously choosing struggle. Many of us do it unconsciously, unaware there is even a choice to be made. There's a commonly used conception in the mindset industry that goes like this. The map is not the territory. Imagine you've taken a trip across the country to a place you've never been. You've been following your map the whole way and it should lead to your destination soon. But suddenly you turn a corner and the road that should lead you to the journey's end is nowhere to be seen. Your map shows the road, but it's no longer there your map must be out of date. Even the best maps are imperfect. That's because they are reductions of what they represent. If a map were to represent the territory in its entirety, it would no longer be a reduction and would lose its usefulness. The utility of a map comes from its simplicity but cannot be conflated with the actual territory. We know just because our map shows the road, that doesn't mean that the road actually exists. Your map is simply a representation of what someone thought the land looked like at the time the map was drawn. The map is static. But the territory is the dynamic reality we have to deal with. The territory is the ever-changing present moment, and your ego mind is the map. Your ego mind loves to hold onto plans, ideas, and beliefs about how things should be, or how you should act. It grips to what is acceptable or possible and what is not along with many other beliefs or maps you carry around. Your ego mind will never be able to keep up with the present moment because it is always living in the past or the future. The ego mind is presently trying to hold on to things that are no longer there or grasp for things that have not come into existence. This is what causes suffering. When we are holding on to a certain way things should be and they are not that way. In keeping with our metaphor, your map of reality is not actually reality. It may have been accurate at one time, but everything in life is in constant flux. Most people are navigating their reality based on old outdated maps or beliefs. Imagine drawing a mental map of the world at the age of 12 and never updating that map or pausing to examine how much things have changed year after year. You would never plan a road trip on a map of that vintage. So why use it to plan your life? Briefly, do you know what made the scientific revolution such a big deal? At the time, many people believed there was nothing else to learn about the world. Everything important had already been discovered and could be revealed by religious leaders or sacred texts. The scientific revolution changed that by reintroducing the concept that we, as humans, do not know everything. The idea that we are omniscient suggests that perhaps our understanding of the world around us is flawed and, at best, incomplete. And we need to be willing to admit ignorance. The prominent Greek philosopher Socrates is credited with stating, I only know that I know nothing. This phrase has become synonymous with acknowledging one's own blind spots. I truly believe the moment we realize the gaps in our knowledge is the moment we open the door for infinite possibilities. Saying things like, that's just the way I am, or I know all about that already, or I know I'm right, are excellent illustrations of our own ignorance. When we say these things, we blind ourselves to alternatives and our ego's stronghold on the way things should be. You don't know what you don't know. This is why self-awareness is always the first step in any growth journey. So many people are working off outdated maps and maybe even using the maps handed down to them from their family, society, or cultures, which might be even older, and they don't even realize it. I know this is true for me when I started my own alignment work. I was living and creating based on other people's perceptions of realities and how it should be. I wasn't living my own life consciously. To understand what I mean here, it's important to know how we interpret our reality. How you interpret your reality. The five senses are taught in elementary school. Sight, smell, taste, touch, and sound. We're taught that these five senses are what allow us to interact with our surroundings. And without them, there would be no external experience. Imagine you were blind, deaf, mute, tasting impaired, or physically unable to feel objects with your skin. How would your experience of life be different? What you perceive, feel, or hear is a vibration, and this vibration reaches your nerves and interacts with your brain to give you a sensation. This is how you experience life through your senses. But it's important to understand that everything you experience is an interpretation of reality, not the full truth. The tree you see is not the actual tree, but a reflection of the light from the tree that is hitting your eyes. Things get even more confusing when you add in the layer of perception and derived meaning. Perhaps this is the tree under which you had your very first kiss. It is a special tree. Correction, it is a special tree to you. The actual tree is still just a tree. All these sensory inputs from all your experiences get filtered through your mind's own personal biases, beliefs, and values. In other words, what you may think is real might not actually be real for someone else. And this is why two people can experience the same event but have completely different interpretations of what transpired. To illustrate this point, let's say you're at a party and you see someone across the room to whom you are attracted and they keep looking your way. You interpret this to mean they are also attracted to you. Maybe this could be the start of something amazing and potentially a lifelong relationship. So you go over and talk to them. Turns out they were just looking in your direction because they were trying to find an exit and you were standing by the door. But up until that point, you had created a whole story in your head based on how you perceived their actions. Before you knew their true intentions, you believed your version to be the only reality. The same goes for how you interpret every other single event that happens in your life. The reason why it's important to understand that everything is an interpretation is that it indicates you have the power to choose how you want to interpret your reality. You can choose to see the world in a positive light or a negative light. If you're constantly interpreting events in a negative way, then your reality will be negative. But if you're interpreting events in a positive way, then your reality will be positive. It's up to you. This is where alignment work comes in. When you're aligned with your truth, you're able to interpret your reality in a way that serves your greatest purpose. But when you are not aligned with your truth, you're more likely to interpret your reality in an adversarial way. It's not only about updating your map, but curating it to serve your highest aim. Let's say you have a goal to make more money, but every time you look at your bank account, you see the number as proof that you're not good enough and that you'll never reach your goal. This interpretation is not in alignment with your truth because it's based on the false belief that you're not good enough. And so instead of motivating you to make or save more money, it is stopping you before you've even started. If, however, you were to interpret the number in your bank account as simply a number and not as proof of anything, then you would be aligned with your truth. The number would merely be a starting point from which you could make aligned decisions and take aligned actions that would serve your desire. The same can be said for weight loss and the number on the scale. If you see the number on the scale as a starting point, not a reflection of your own worth, that will make you much more likely to succeed. When interpreting your reality, it's important to look at your past conditioning and the influences around you. I'll use my own experience as an example. I was using the hustle culture way of operating as my map to achieve success. Pair that with my conditioning from childhood for the importance of financial security and a belief that the pursuit of it meant hardship and voila, there was my recipe for disaster. While financial security is a great value to have, my influence in achieving it did not serve my highest good. My interpretation of success was focused on making a lot of money so I didn't have to go without as an adult and sacrificing anything to get it. But what I failed to include in my map due to a lack of conscious awareness was taking care of my physical, emotional, and mental well-being. It didn't include having fun or enjoying the journey. As a result, I was constantly out of alignment with my truth and what I really wanted. The bottom line is that your reality is what you make of it. It's all based on your mind's perception of events. So if you want to create a reality that is in alignment with your truth, then you need to be aware of the way you are interpreting your experiences. As you challenge the origins of your map, you will be well on your way to curating a new, more, helpful version for yourself. Conditioned struggle. In the last chapter, I shared how it's important to challenge your beliefs in order to create new and empowering ones. Your belief around struggle is a powerful way to change your reality and step into a higher, more aligned manifesting power. In order to do this, you need to upgrade your mental programming and conditioning around struggle. How many times in your life have you seen or heard people struggle for what they want? How many times have you seen or heard people hustle and grind for what they want? How many times have you seen or heard of people being miserable even after getting what they want for money, for weight loss, for love, for anything? So many of us are programmed with the belief we need to struggle to get anywhere in life. As I've mentioned, there's a large-scale societal conditioning for hustle culture and needing sacrifice for reward. And if we don't challenge this programming, we will continue to chart a course with this outdated notion. Emotional intelligence, which is the capacity to be aware of and manage one's own emotions, as well as notice the emotions of others, is a helpful skill in upgrading your relationship with struggle. When you become more conscious of your emotions, you can begin to work with them instead of against them. Emotional intelligence was coined by psychologists Peter Salovey and John Mayer and popularized by author and psychologist Daniel Goleman in his book, Emotional Intelligence, Why It Can Matter More Than IQ. In the book, Goleman discusses how emotional intelligence can impact every area of life, from work performance to relationships and everything in between. Emotional intelligence teaches us that in order to move through struggle, we need to increase our emotional intelligence and become aware of the programming from which most people will operate and create their lives. Our conditioned programs fall into four categories. One, learned reactions. We have learned to have certain automatic reaction to specific stimuli. Two, conditioned emotions. There's automatic emotions felt and repeated over and over again. Three, conditioned words. The automatic phrases that come out of our mouth again and again. Four, learned helplessness or struggle in situations. Learned reactions. Your conditioning created your foundation for understanding life, emotions, and behaviors. If you observe a young child who's faced with a new situation, they look to their parents for an example of how they should react and feel. The parents' expressions, such as a smile, a frown, or other subtle nonverbal communication, show the child how to react. This is referred to as vicarious conditioning, the reflex response or emotion we develop by watching others around us. Parents can also shape conditioned reactions by offering a reinforcement, such as a reward for when the child does something they like, or a negative reinforcement, such as a punishment when the child misbehaves. Keep in mind, this is not limited to children. It happens to us adults as well. Conditioned emotions. Negative emotions can have positive benefits. For example, anxiety has both positive and negative qualities. It can motivate people to act or resolve a situation that they may have otherwise swept under the rug. In school, if we felt anxiety about an exam, that anxiety may have motivated us to study. If we feel anxious about a work project, it may push us to make sure that we are fully prepared and organized. However, anxiety, amongst other negative emotions, can also become problematic when it becomes conditioned we can wind up learning to associate anxiety with action and thus develop a dependency on anxiety simply to feel compelled into action. Sadness is also a mood with a positive side as it allows us to conserve energy when we have been overwhelmed. Sadness can also get us attention, care, and help among others. If we are not careful, we can easily condition ourselves to become sad or play the victim to garner sympathy or nurturing conditioned words. Words can have very powerful conditioned responses as well. For many of us, there is no more obvious than how we react to certain four-letter words, or perhaps a sexist or racist comment. However, you may not notice when subtle everyday words influence your emotions. For example, if your parents told you, we need to talk, every time you were in trouble, then you would naturally learn to associate those words with trouble and react negatively, even as an adult. As a personal example, I've had to watch my emotional reaction around the word busy and remove this word from my vocabulary as much as possible. I came to realize that every time I would say, I have a busy day, or it's going to be a busy week, it would leave me feeling deflated and uninterested in accomplishing my task. Swapping the word busy to productive has had tremendous positive effects on my energy. Learned helplessness or struggle. When people are exposed repeatedly to a negative situation in which they have no control or they consistently fail to succeed at getting what they want, example, a true sense of fulfillment and peace, and a rising sense of powerlessness begins to form. They develop learned helplessness and in the process lose their ability to adapt and change. This can happen when we have a career or business we have created and don't enjoy anymore and feel stuck in it. It can happen when we're in a relationship full of drama or lack of connection, but we feel obligated to stay. It can happen when we experience severe financial difficulty and see no way out. When we experience learned helplessness, we stop looking for a way to change our situation and develop a belief system that there's nothing we can do to fix or change our future. Therefore, we may miss opportunities even when those around us illustrate a different way. This is because we've already been conditioned not to believe it. All four are examples of conditioned neural pathways in the brain. A neural pathway is a collection of interconnected neurons in the brain. Information can flow easily through well-established neural pathways because the connections between these neurons is so strong. The more often a neural pathway is used, the stronger and faster it becomes. This is analogous to a path through the woods. The first time you walk a path, it will be obscured and overgrown. But each time you walk it, you cut through the branches and twigs in your way. Maybe you move a log or two, and soon enough you will have a clear, unencumbered trail through the woods. Walking this path becomes easy, mindless, and automatic. You carve out neural pathways in much the same way. The first time you do something, there's only a faint path in your brain, which is why it can be awkward, clumsy, or unfamiliar. But The more times you do it, the more defined the neural pathway becomes. Eventually, there is a clear track through which information can flow easily and seamlessly. So if you want to create new, empowering beliefs, you also need to establish new neural pathways to support those beliefs. Since these conditioned neural pathways are so well ingrained and very automatic, we don't even realize we have the ability to react any differently. We don't realize we have more choices for how to react, feel, and communicate. And if you don't change, nothing changes. Fortunately for us, our brains have neuroplasticity, meaning they can change and adapt, and learning can happen at any age. This is good news because it means it's never too late to shift our beliefs and perceptions. Pavlov's famous dog experiments pioneered the study of classical conditioning, which looks into how we learn through association. It's essentially what we've been talking about through this section. If you don't know the story of Pavlov's dog experiments, it goes like this. Pavlov was a Russian psychologist who studied digestion in dogs. His experiments involved his assistants regularly bringing the dog's food and other items to measure the saliva production elicited. The interesting part about saliva production is that it's reflexive, meaning not under conscious control. One day he noticed something quite remarkable the dogs would begin to salivate whenever one of his assistants entered the room, even without food in hand. How could this be? While salivating in response to a food stimulus is indeed a reflexive response, the dog's salivary reaction towards his assistants was something else. It was a learned response. The dogs had learned to associate the sight of the assistant's lab coats with the arrival of food. When we link an Expectation of something happening with a particular stimulus, like seeing a certain person, it creates what is known as a conditioned reflex. Pavlov then pivoted to inquire into how one could learn or acquire a conditioned response. So he added the sound of a ticking metronome to be a novel but neutral stimulus. The dogs would be exposed to the sound of the metronome and then immediately given food. He repeated this process until all he had to do was turn on the metronome and the dogs would begin salivating. He conducted many more similar experiments with various neutral tones, all of which produced the same salivation response. This goes to show us the power of learned behavior and conditioned responses. Every stimulus coming in from our senses is neutral. It has no meaning until your mind gives it a meaning. I want you to consider how many meanings or opinions you have given to your circumstances, both past and present. A conditioned response is nothing more than a well-developed neural pathway in the brain. To change our neural pathways, we first have to develop an awareness around how we are reacting to our programs with the most well-worn grooves. Then we need to expose ourselves to something that will let our unconscious mind see there are other possibilities, which I will cover in chapter eight. After that, we can replace our reaction with the desired response and take more appropriate action. Let's say you want a raise, but every time you've gone to speak with your boss, they are always dismissive of you. After repeated interactions of this nature, you simply learn to stop asking. You've been conditioned to get that no response and to feel helpless. To change this, you would need to take notice of your behavioral response and how it's showing up in your actions. The next thing you'd need to do is begin exposing yourself to new information and thus open yourself up to other, more beneficial ways of handling your circumstance. Perhaps you do some research on what other companies are paying their employees for comparable positions. You might even fire off a few resumes, do a few interviews, and get some other job offers. Maybe you even take a negotiation course Or practice with a friend before so that when you speak with your boss the next time, you are in a better position to have the outcome you desire. This is how we change our neural pathways and create new realities for ourselves. This can take time, just as your original conditioning took time to form. Those neural pathways through the forest didn't become pristine all in one go. So be patient with yourself and celebrate the small successes. Every shift in your growth journey needs to be acknowledged. No matter how trivial you may think it is, alignment work is really a process of unlearning what is no longer working for you and relearning a new way of operating. I want you to play a game with yourself. I call it the what if game. What if I didn't need to feel the struggle? What if it came with more ease? What if I can create from joy and not hardship? What if, what if, what if? You fill in the blank for what your new possibilities will be. The what-if game is fun and one I like to play with myself all the time when I'm in the midst of manifesting. It opens a new window to new possibilities and new neural pathways in our brains. Give it a try. This is how we open ourselves to aligned manifestation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and this reading from Chapter 5 of my new book, Follow the Joy, the book on Aligned manifestation. If you haven't got your copy yet and you'd like to, you can go to followthejoybook.com and order yours today. I'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you for joining me on this episode today. My website, simplysara.com, is a great place for me to continue to support you on your journey to alignment, joy, and fulfillment. There you will find upcoming retreats that I am hosting, resources, books, and many other helpful tools to help you on your travels through this thing called life.